0: Good morning. Well, if I uh, if I were to ask you in this room, uh, if I were to say you know what the history of the Reformation is, how many of you would say, "Yeah, I got a pretty good idea of what the Reformation was all about"? Okay, a few of you. A few of you. You know, the first service there was at least fifty percent. I'm telling. You. I'm just kidding. Um, How about on your bulletin? You notice this nice little mugshot of a guy here? If I were to ask you, do you know who this guy is, how many could say, I know who he is? Ah, more of you know who this guy is, okay. All right. Well, um, this coming Tuesday, October 31st, um, there's a big event happening. Actually, uh, it marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And so, in honor of it, I would like to share with you the history of this guy, uh, the history of Martin Luther. That's who this picture is of. And the man who really started it all. And so to begin with, though, we have to go before Martin Luther and how how he got kind of involved in the Reformation. We have to go to a Dominican friar, a German man, whose name was Johann Tetzel. I've got a sketch of Johann. This is actually from the time when he lived. Johann Tetzel, he was famous in his day. He was going around all of Europe and he was preaching and people were moved by his preaching. And the famous line that he said was, "...once a coin into the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory heavenward springs." Once a coin into the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory heavenward springs. The year was 1517, and the friar was preaching what the Roman Catholic Church taught about this thing called indulgences. Now, an indulgence was a way to reduce the amount of punishment that one would have to undergo for the sins that they have done on this earth, after they're dead, when they go to what the Roman Catholic Church taught was this place called purgatory. And what you could do is actually buy indulgences, but they didn't say buy them. They said you'd have to pay alms. And in paying alms, you could buy these indulgences, and and then the Pope, Pope Leo X, here's a picture of Pope Leo X with some of his vicars next to him. He used the money that were sold for these indulgences. He used the the money in order to build and rebuild St. Peter's uh, Basilica in Rome. Here's a picture of St. Peter's Basilica. Yeah, it's one of the most elaborate buildings in the world. And yes, it was paid for. When people bought indulgences. And Johann Tetzel was the leading promoter in selling them. Now, at that same time, there was a monk. uh, And by 1517, this monk had spent about 12 years in solitude and in training. And then he became a professor at the University of Wittenberg. That would be Wittenberg, Germany. And he was the professor of moral theology there. And he was unsettled by the whole fact that the Pope could actually issue these indulgences uh, as a way of bringing purification from sin. His name, of course, was Martin Luther, the guy on your bulletin. He wanted to have a public debate with the church around what he saw the Pope as doing wrong. His, His main question to the church was, Did the Pope have the right to issue indulgences? Did the Pope have the right to actually say your punishment in purgatory can be reduced by X amount depending on how many indulgences you buy? So, on the eve of All Saints Day, and All Saints Day has been celebrated way, way, way back, even before 1517. All Saints Day, by the way, is November 1st. And on the eve of All Saints' Day, and by the way, saints back then could be called hallowed, those people who were hallowed, or All Hallows' Day. And the eve of Hallows' Day would be Hallows' Eve. You see where I'm going with this? That's where it has evolved for us on October 31st to be Halloween. Yes, that's where it comes from. But back on October 31st, 1517, on Hallow's Eve, Martin Luther posted on the church in Wittenberg a document that would change the world. The document is called his 95 theses, or his 95 disputes that he wanted to take up with the church. Why did he want to take it up with the church? Because he wanted to bring about reform in the church. Hence the word, the Reformation. Little did he know that that document would be copied and distributed all throughout Europe. And ultimately, it would split the church right down to our present day. No longer would the church be the Catholic church. And Catholic, by the way, means universal. Now the church would have this division. And there would be the Catholic church, but then there would be this new branch. From that year forward, this new branch has been known as the Protestant Church, or as the Catholics would like to call it, the Protestants. And in the Protestant Church, there are many denominations. Well, the Reformation, as it is known, uh, didn't happen in just that single moment. It happened... uh, uh, by many but it was that single moment by that single man martin luther that really changed the course of history and in honor of the anniversary of the day in Witten, that day in wittenberg i'd like to show us first of all luther's reformation and then secondly the foundation on which he built that reformation and finally we're going to cover luther's pivotal realization what got it all started in his own mind and in his own heart. So let's start with Luther's Reformation. Ah, Let's even go back before that. Let's go to November 10th, 1483. November 10th, 1483, Martin Luther was born. He was the oldest child of seven children. His father, Hans, here's a oil painting of Hans. This is the only picture that we actually have of him. Hans, as you can see by the oil painting, was a stern man. Yes, he actually was. He was rugged. He was easily angered. Both of Luther's parents believed that the rod of discipline was the magic wand that would bring about righteousness into their children. Martin's father beat Luther, Martin Luther, so severely that the two of them became open enemies in life. Now uh, you might think he may have found solitude in his mother. His mother's name is Margaret. Here's a painting of her. Yeah, she doesn't look much happier, does she? Well, she wasn't. She wasn't much softer than her husband. Matter of fact, she uh, there is a story told that Martin once, as a young boy, was caught stealing one single nut out of the kitchen, and Margaret took Luther and beat him until the blood flowed. Yeah. Well, even with this harsh upbringing, there was something in Martin Luther that moved him to be a young man who would stand up for what was right. He was a man who said, whatever is wrong must be reformed. The Reformation. Stand up for what is right, even if it's against family. Even if he would have to go against his family. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 12 and verse 51, he said, Do you suppose, Jesus said, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Why the divisions in families? Why would Jesus say, when I come, I am going to bring division in the family? Why? Because someone in the family would decide to stand up for what is right. Martin described his dad as a strict judge. A miserable man who thought he was always right. And he was always angry. And those he knew in his own mind, he condemned them to hell. In 1505, at the young age of 21, the brilliant young Martin Luther received his Master's of Arts degree. And his father knew that his son must go off to study law. But this is the first time when Martin Luther would stand up for what is right and stand against his father's wishes. Instead of going into law, Luther decided to become a monk. His father was not happy with it. And it wasn't as noble as you might first think. Um, Actually, what spurred it on was uh, Martin Luther was in the middle of a thunder and lightning storm and uh, there was a time when lightning and thunder crashed at the same time and scared him (laughs) and he thought that God was speaking to him in that that he must focus on salvation that he wasn't quite sure you know what was going to happen if he were to, to die And he thought the only place where he could go and commit his life to focusing on salvation would be within the four walls of the monastery. And so he made a vow, not to God. No, he made a vow to Saint Anne that he would become a monk. And he did. You know, for many of us, I think some of our greatest challenges that we face have to do with family. I mean, some of us, I know, were raised by a very strict father or by a manipulative mother. Uh, There are wrongs that are in the families that we know as family secrets. We're not supposed to let anybody else know. Others have pressure put on them by their families in one form or another. You've gotta keep the family traditions. You gotta keep the family religion. You've gotta make sure that you never Disrespect the family's ways. And like Martin, God is calling us to a reformation where we have to stand up for what is right even if it goes against our families. Is that you? It has been for me. My family, my extended family doesn't align with some of my views that I hold to. But I say I must stand up for what does God's Word say? Today, I hope, just might be the day of reformation for you and for me. Martin Luther was a reformer. When he saw something that was not right, he stood up for what is right. First of all, against his family. Secondly, He stood up even if it was against those in power. I think Martin got his uh, influence probably from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul uh, had a guy he was mentoring. His name was Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor. And the Apostle Paul talked about how when he stood up for what was right, what the consequences of that would be in Second Timothy chapter three and verse ten, we read these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. He said, Now you followed my teachings, uh, my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. And then get this in verse eleven. Persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Now let me just tell you the persecutions and sufferings that the Apostle Paul experienced at those three cities. You've got to go back to Acts chapter 13 and then into Acts chapter 14 to read about it. But the Apostle Paul, when he was getting started, he was in Antioch. Now, Antioch is in the upper northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. And as he was there, he was preaching Jesus Christ to a world who had never heard that the Savior had come, the Messiah had come, and he died for their sins, and he rose from the grave to give him eternal life. And people were turning to Christ, but the religious leaders, the people in power in that day did not like what the Apostle Paul was doing, and so they raised up a persecution against him. And He heard it was going to happen, so he left Antioch and went to Iconium. When he got to Iconium, again, he began to preach about Jesus. And people started to respond to his message. But then the Jews rose up, the people against him. They were slandering his name. They were gossiping about him. And they got the people to turn against the apostle Paul in Iconium. And so he shook the dust off of his sandals and went on to Lystra. When he got to Lystra, the religious leaders were there. And they, again, stirred up the the people against the Apostle Paul to the point where a mob captured him, drug him out to the uh, outside of the city gates, and stoned him, threw rocks at him, and left him for dead. (laughs) That's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Look at verse 11 as we continue. What persecutions I endured. Oh yeah, he did. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Now listen to verse 12, because this is about you and me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Luther stood up against the rulers of his day, and he knew persecution. On April 18, 1521, Luther was brought to what was known as the Diet of Worms. Worms, by the way, spelled W-O-R-M-S. Don't say worms. Use your German. The Diet of Worms. Yes. Or otherwise known as the Assembly in the City of Worms. Luther thought he was going to finally get his chance to debate the Catholic Church, the church at the time, Uh, and yet when he got there, it wasn't a debate. It was an ambush. Yeah, they called him to take back and to reject everything that he said and wrote against the Roman Catholic Church. I love Luther's response. I actually have it up here for you. Uh, He said to them, "...unless I'm convicted by the testimony of sacred Scripture or by evident reason..." I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. By the way, he's standing before the pope. He's standing before the councils. He's actually standing before the emperor, Charles V. He's, he's, I mean, all the big shots are there. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, amen. Ooh, That's a guy of courage right there. Now, well, about two and a half weeks later, on May 6th of that year, the church charged Luther as a heretic, and he had to flee into hiding, even though the church and the society said no one was to harbor him. And all of his followers were condemned, and all of his books were to be burned in order to erase the the even thoughts of this man named Martin Luther from history. <laughs> How'd they do? <laughs> yeah. One well, like today. The church and the state back then were one. They were of one mind. Today we have separation of church and state. But like the Apostle Paul, Luther was standing up to the ills of society, and he suffered persecution. Because of it. Are we willing to do the same? Hmm. Will we stand up against drug dealers who are killing our children? Will we stand up against sex traffickers who are killing the hearts of our children? Will we speak out against the murder of the unborn? For abortion still continues to this day. Will we say, as the Bible says, that sex outside of marriage, whether if it's same sex or opposite sex, is against God and His will? It's wrong. Will we stand up for justice? Will we speak for the innocent? Will we speak the truth boldly? Will we go public to live for Christ? Will we stand up for what is right? Will you and I be reformers in our day and age when we see that reformation must happen? Will we do it? Luther was a reformer. But he didn't just reform for the sake of reformation. He had a firm foundation on which he stood. In our world, what what foundation are people building their lives on? Really, I mean... In in Luther's day, it was the church. What the church said, that's what they built their lives on. I think for us today, uh, many people would think, well, I'm building my life on my individualism. You know, I I have my opinions, and, and so I'm just standing on what I believe. Well, that might be what you think. The reality is we're all influenced by something. Nobody grows up in a vacuum and just sort of creates their own view. I think they're influenced by their upbringing, we are, influenced by our education, influenced by our peers, influenced by the society around us. Luther was convinced that the world that he lived in needed to be influenced by the Bible. The Reformation, the foundation of the Reformation was to stand on the Bible. The Bible ought to be our foundation. That's what the Apostle Paul actually told Timothy. If you just jump down a few verses from where I read before in, in chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the ju- who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repue, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's what Luther was up against in his day. People were believing myths. Indulgences is a myth. Purgatory is a myth. It's not in alignment with the Scriptures. It's the same as happening in our day today though. People are believing myths. They're they're aligning their lives with people that say things that they like to hear. If we were to bring the doctrine of God, the truth of God, the Word of God to our society, to our world, would they turn toward it or would they turn away from it? Let me just take a basic doctrine that we in this room, most of us anyway, would say, yep, that's that's probably the main doctrine that we want to promote. And that would be this. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just leave it at that. To love the Lord our God with all that we are means that no matter what I'm doing in my life, no matter what I'm thinking about, no matter what I'm talking about, no matter the things I'm deciding to do, I'm just asking myself the question, am I loving God with that? this choice that I'm making, can I say, I, I love God... I'm, I think he's happy with what, with what I'm doing. Matter of fact, I like how Paul wrote it in Colossians 3.17. He said, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. <laughs> do people this is, how, this is how you should align your life. This is, this is the doctrine. This is truth. People, will they turn toward that? Or will they rather turn to whatever seems to not line up with that, but line up with what, what they maybe want to do? I think we know the answer to that. They turn away from the truth. Man, to get the Word of God in the hands of people. You know, on the heels of the Diet of Worms, on the heels of that, Luther had this mindset. That every single individual ought to be able to have the scriptures for themselves because he believed that if you read the scriptures and you took time on to understand it, you could actually uh, interpret what it says on your own. Now, any of you come from a Catholic background would know that that goes completely contrary to what Catholic teaching is all about. Catholic teaching says you can't understand what the Bible says, the church has to tell you what it says, it has to tell you what it means. But the Reformation, led by Martin Luther, knew that when God inspired the human authors to write the Bible, that he inspired them to write it in the common language of the people. And in writing it in the common language of the people, God wrote it so that common people could understand it, if they just took time to read it and therefore a common person could stand on the firm foundation of the word of god therefore luther committed himself not only to stand on the bible but secondly to share the bible with as many people as he possibly could after the diet of worms when luther was in hiding he took refuge in the castle at vortberg vortberg germany When he was in that castle, it was only about a year that he was there, but he did something that had never been done before since about A.D. 70. (laughs) That is, he took the original language of the New Testament, which was Greek, and he translated for the very first time a modern translation into his native tongue, which was German. He wrote the first translation in modern language in his day. It's still out today, called the Luther Bible. And actually, before that, you had to know the original languages. You had to know Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic to read the Bible because it wasn't translated. Or you could know it in Latin. The Latin Vulgate is what happened in AD 70. And so, uh, wait, Latin Vulgate. I think it was 70 BC, not AD. Well, you look it up. 70-something. Anyway, uh, that's not even in my notes. That's what happens when I leave my notes. I just start to think on my feet, and that can get me in trouble. So so he took that time to translate into German. And the way he did it, it's interesting. He went incognito. Uh, When he was in hiding, he grew out a big, huge beard, and he went into the town, and he went into the marketplace, and he listened to people talk. And he wanted to see how they turned a phrase. He wanted to see how they used the German language. And he took that common language of the people and he translated the New Testament from the Greek, as I said, into the German. He did what he could to make the Holy Scriptures accessible. Today, (laughs) the Holy Scriptures are accessible. I mean, just pull out your phone. No doubt you've got a Bible app on it, probably. Or, you know, they're in the pew ahead of you. You know how we always say, feel free to grab one if you don't have one. They're all over the place. Yet even though the Bible is everywhere, it seems sad that in our nation, so few people have it as the foundation for their lives. How can we get more and more people to live in its truth? How can we steer people Away from living under lies, you know? Under false, false thinking. Under deceptiveness. The thievery of deception. How can we get people to become people of the book? The good book. To put their lives under the authority of the Bible. It was a driving force for the Reformation. Man, I wish it was a driving force for us today. Well, finally, let's end by talking about the hinge of the Reformation. It was Luther's pivotal realization. And it was when he was reading Romans one seventeen. And in the middle of Romans one seventeen, there's this quote. It says, But the righteous man shall live by faith. I have to take you back to the beginning when Martin Luther first became a monk. He read those words and he understood them as the Catholic Church taught them. That in order to be a man of faith, you had to be righteous. And so he took his new life of being a monk seriously. Later in his life, he said, If ever a monk could reach heaven through monkery, it was I. <laughs> Martin Luther, in those early years, he recited prayers over and over and over again he would read the scriptures for hours and hours and hours he would freeze in his unheated cubicle he would fast for days and for weeks he even scourged himself flogging himself to try and make himself more righteous on one occasion when he wasn't seen for days his friends broke into his cell and found him lying on the floor senseless from praying and reading and not eating and freezing. He was shivering in the cold. They put a blanket around him, began to sing hymns to him, and warmed him up and fed him and got him back in his right mind. Try as any of us might, Luther could not get righteous enough. He would grow to truly hate that word Righteousness, because he was taught that God is righteous and he punishes unrighteous sinners. Luther knew he could not live by faith because he could not get himself to be righteous. Around the year 1515, about 10 years later, Luther returned to Romans 1.17, and slowly the truth unfolded before his eyes. Faith doesn't come through righteousness, but righteousness comes through faith. We're not made right before God by doing right. No good work could ever atone for our sins or could remove the guilt before God for not measuring up to His holy requirements. You know, even if we lived during Luther's day, what was preached by Johann Tetzel was if you want to be righteous then buy your loved ones out of purgatory now if you heard that and you didn't know what the truth was you'd think oh that sounds like a really loving thing to do that sounds like a really righteous thing to do if I want to be righteous I better go buy some indulgences yeah I want to help my loved one spring heavenward out of purgatory But the Reformation taught us, starting with Luther, that only faith in Jesus and what He's done for us, when He died on the cross to pay our penalty, that was what satisfies God's holy justice, His holy conditions. Faith alone, in Christ alone, that's the only way to spring heavenward. Before the Reformation, striving for holiness was a way to get people to live a certain way, to live the way they ought to live. Since the Reformation, the way of life is through faith, through trusting in Jesus, trusting that His death satisfies God's holy justice. And then by walking in faith, by faith in Him as His companion, trusting Him daily to align our lives with the Scriptures, the truth of the Bible. I hope for us, in honor of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, I hope for us that today might be a day of Reformation for us. That where we would stand up for what is right, even if it's against family or against the powers that be, no matter what, And that we would be building our lives on the firm foundation of God's truth, the Word of God, the Bible, and that we would be encouraging others to do that as well. And third, that we are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life. Living our lives then, not trying to be righteous, but living our lives by faith in Him. That He would grow us that He would mold us. That He would use us to go and serve Him. I hope today would be the day of reformation for us where we, men and women, boys and girls, where we would be committed that where we see reform that needs to happen, you and I would be used by God to bring about that reformation in our day and age.